2: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Thistle Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that cares about Scottish rugby. Alan, Matt, how are you guys doing this afternoon?
1: Yeah, all very good mate, it's a pleasure to be here once again talking about Scottish
0: rugby. Uh, Yeah, no, had a horrific weekend, no power in my house, but no, (laughs) hopefully this is going to brighten up my day.
2: Well, that is good, you do love wallowing in the darkness of negativity, so we're glad to have you here in the light. We're going to be getting into our three fishly issues later, but uh, just to remind you, you can follow us on iTunes, Acast, uh, the podcast app, and on Twitter, at Thistle Rugby Pods, and once you get yourself onto iTunes, please leave us a five-star review, other stars are of course available, but... We will not read uh, any of your reviews out this week. We had one from our first Scottish international follower, Dougie Fife, has um, <laughs> written in to say a devastatingly timely review of the Scottish rugby scene. The storytelling is muscular, the repartee has texture, and the transitions are v good. Dougie, we love you. Thanks very much
0: for that. I
1: wow. mean, I mean, knowing, knowing Dougie, words like repartee are just. <laughs> um,
0: I've actually got one other review that I wanted to bring up. Um, one, of our, one of the friends of the pod forwarded me a Reddit uh, review. A reviewer, a reviewer under the name of Gay for Tom Mitchell. Which, <laughs> okay. you know, Tom Mitchell's a good looking guy. He's a so handsome fella, yeah. fair play. Yeah, no,
1: you got a great lid, that guy as well.
0: Yeah, great haircut. And he said, I listened to the first couple of episodes the other week after one of the hosts was a guest on Green and Gold before the Aussie game was kind of disappointed. The hosts just aren't very likeable. (laughs) (laughs) They spent most of the first episode just slagging off players and smugly alluding to things they'd heard about them off the pitch. Felt more like I was eavesdropping on three lads pre-drinking and sharing, open quotes, bants, close quotes, (laughs) Before popping their Ren collars and heading to Opal Lounge or Shanghai, <laughs> so two things I guess on this. Firstly, we've got to be respectful of the listeners. You know they make they make the pod. Yeah, absolutely. What it is, and secondly, I hate Opal Lounge and I hate Shanghai.
2: That is true, actually. Those uh, those aren't our clubs of choice, are they? Yeah. <laughs>
0: that that comment really cut me.
2: Although, do you think we are actually now smugly looking at his review? It's called us <laughs> smug. So. Yeah, no.
0: But no, I think it's good for us to.
2: I think it's keeping us back. It's keeping us grounded, isn't it?
0: And I said, any five star reviews, please go onto iTunes, and any negative feedback or constructive criticism, feel free to. Uh, call, chat to us on any other social media. Yeah, Twitter. absolutely. You
2: get it. We are we are new to this game, guys. So we are looking for any sort of input we can take um, down to our sort of after parties at Opal Lounge and Shanghai. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. should we get should we get cracked in then, lads? Yeah, let's yeah, do yeah, it. Definitely. Um, so obviously our three thistly issues of the week um, are going to be what did we learn from the Pro 12 games on um, on Friday night? Uh, we're then going to have a look at the is there a gulf in class between the top and the bottom halves of the Pro 12? And then point three, um, we had a reporter on dispatch at the Athletic Ground in Richmond on Friday night to watch um, London Scottish, and we want to have a chat about what place does that club uh, play in the future of Scottish rugby. Um,
1: We'll also also have my quiz um, between uh, issues two and three, which was obviously a roaring success last week, and I've got some... Some pretty tasty questions um, coming up, so make sure to, to keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. So let's uh, before we get cracked into the having a look at the Pro 12
2: games, obviously have a look at um, the other rugby and other news that was going on this week. England obviously did uh, another great victory against Australia. Fair play. They're looking very formidable ahead of the Six Nations, aren't they?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it just seems what's four, fourteen wins in a row? Fifteen. Yeah, that's the mean, That's that's equaling that's, the English. That's uh, incredible. Um, and beating Australia four times in in a year is is pretty amazing. They just seem to know how to win. Eddie Jones has them so well drilled. Um, they're mentally right, and they just have so much strength and depth, which you know is, is something that's always been the case with English rugby. But they they really seem to be taking advantage of that now.
0: It's, I first twenty minutes. I thought Australia were going to absolutely hammer them. But this England team just seems to have a knack of regrouping itself and grinding out the win. You know, none of the tries, well, the um, Yardy try was a great little kick from Joseph. But a lot of the tries and points were just really capitalising on the mistakes that Australia made. Um, so, yeah, no, worrying going into the the Six Nations. I think,
2: and we all know how bad Scotland's record is when we go down to Twickenham in particular to play against them. So I think that's a very, very tricky match for us in um, what must be end of February or the beginning of March. Um, Other news, um, Gregor Townsend turning down the attack coach job for the Lions. Personally, I think it's a good thing. He's putting the Scotland job first. What did you guys reckon?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, as he was saying in his interview, you don't get much time to sort of train with the team and have... Through sort of, time together with the whole squad, so I think that's really good. Um, I think it's actually quite with him and Schmidt rejecting lines. Now it seems as if Rob Howley is going to be the attack coach, which, uh, judging by the autumn internationals, is going to be a pretty dire affair. So that's from my sort of light with my Lions hat on. It's a bit disappointing, but for Scottish rugby, it's great.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. As a Scotland fan, I think he had to do it. It's, he's it's his first kind of period of time with the players. And admittedly, there's probably not going to be that many Scotland players with the Lions, so he's going to have a pretty much full squad. And but yeah, from a Lions perspective, it would have been great to see him in that te- in that team of coaches because I think the one thing that Wales and although the Lions won four years ago, they there was a slight dearth of attacking invention and talent, and it would have get good to see him there because I think he would have added a lot to the setup. But yeah, but yeah no, where is Scotland going in the summer? Australia. Australia, and then one game in Fiji, actually, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it's really good that he's going to be focusing on the the job in hand. Um, I think he probably could have got quite a lot of experience working with that line set up, but I I think it is the best decision for Scottish rugby for him to go on the tour to Australia with them. And um, sticking on that theme of the sort of merry-go-round of Glasgow and Scotland coaches... um, the incoming Glasgow coach Dave Rennie. It's being um, reported this morning in some South African press that he is being tapped up for the um, the Springboks job, which would be um, quite a quite a bad state of affairs for the Warriors if it was to go through. Matt or Alan, have you been uh, keeping up with this at all?
1: Yeah, well, I saw it, um, someone had tweeted it this morning, and I, I put it out there on, the, on our Thistle account. Um, it seems as if Kutsia is is destined for the chop, um, and yeah, Rennie is, seems like the sort of the number one candidate. Um, I, I don't know what sort of contract he's signed and what the release clauses are. Um, you also think that you know, with the rand where it is at the moment, they would maybe struggle to be paying as much for Rennie as as the SRU are, which it seems is it appears is quite a lot of money. So I'm not sure how much truth is in it, but it would be a real blow because, as we talked about before in the pod, um, Rennie going to Glasgow is a, a coup for Scottish rugby.
0: Yeah, I mean, from from his perspective, if you've got two options on the table one being Glasgow Warriors, yeah. and one being South Africa, where, to be honest, he can only really go up from where they are at the moment. I just think, from a professional perspective, you've got to take the South Africa job. Mm.
2: Yeah, I suppose it's kind of um, reminiscent of when um, Eddie Jones was under contract with the Stormers, and then England came knocking, and, well, look what he's done with them. So um, I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to, to look over the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, really sad for the Warriors if he doesn't come though, because he is such a good coach. Yeah, absolutely, really. I think really great to take Glasgow Warriors even further on in their sort of um, club career.
2: Well, yeah, and that's a nice actual um, nice little link in there, Alan, to what we're going to be looking at the first issue about the Pro 12 games. Obviously, Glasgow played against Munster on um, Friday night and took a took took a tough loss with a last minute drop goal from Ian Keatley, sending them down. 16-15 16-15 now in the press Gregor Townsend has been very very critical of that Glasgow performance and you can see why that is the first time this is a nice little stat actually this is the first time under Townsend's reign that Glasgow have lost three Pro 12 games on the spin really? wow. and now that now that leaves them 10 points adrift from the top and actually five points off the playoff places as well so I guess starting there like wh- what do you guys think of the game and what do you think of Glasgow's chances of getting into that playoff spots
1: yeah, well it, it seems as if um, if you look at the teams that are above them, the top four, they're all playing really well. They're playing good rugby and they're they're yep. beating teams quite comfortably and, and getting these results. And it seems as if Glasgow sort of from the start of the season when they did very well just really, really tailed off. Um, and you know, I don't know how much of that has to do with how much they suffer in the international period because they do have so many players going away with Scotland. Um but I just think that watching the game on on um, Friday night, the the lack of depth really tells. And when you have players like sort of Rory Clegg coming in, and, and even Peter Murchie, who's you know a manful player and, and serve the club very well, they just don't quite cut it against teams like Munster, who you know are are a very um, you know classy team.
2: Yeah, it, it was Murchie as well. So sort of set up the first, uh, well not set up, but the the first uh, Munster try was off a. A sort of scaffold um, clearance click from merchie that barely didn't even really get them out the 22. And then that was the sort of the makings of the first um, Munster score. And Glasgow find themselves 10 0 down. And that's a difficult place to come back to on a team like Munster.
0: Yeah, that first 40 minutes was just filled with sort of silly errors. And just organisationally, Glasgow just weren't there. And I don't know if that's just a symptom of the fact that half their team, or more than half their team, have been with Scotland for the last three and a half weeks. And also, as you say, once you're sort of 10 points down to Munster, Munster are probably one of the best teams in Europe at the moment. Yep. And uh, they've got an amazing defence. And I know it's that classic like wall of red that Munster have. I I just think you can't be putting yourself in that position. Um, Although to say, I thought sort of Glasgow in the second half came back pretty well to sort of pieces of individual brilliance from Price and Bennett that did show kind of what Glasgow do have in their locker and um, I don't coming back off the internationals losing one point to Munster I don't think that's the worst thing in the world and hopefully I know we were chatting about it earlier after the two uh, European games Glasgow have got Edinburgh, Treviso and then the four Welsh regions and Glasgow do like to go on these big runs where they kind of build up five or six unbeaten games. And I've, I've got a feeling that kind of post-Christmas, I think once all the players are back together, I think Glasgow are going to be fine and pushing for that top four.
2: Yeah, I think, that, I think that's really an interesting point as well. But you talked about the, the first half. There's some really fantastic statistics out of that. Glasgow had 60% possession, 60% territory. And they played 10 minutes of that half with an extra man um, after someone was showing the cheese. Um, (laughs) They won seven penalties and only gave away three. Now, that is an unbelievable Mm. sort of like platform to be playing against, but they couldn't break down the wall of red and Wunster's defense. And they only came away from a three-point penalty from Pete Horn. So, I mean, that is actually quite uncharacteristic, I would argue, of Glasgow. And I think it's put them in a difficult position to come back and win it. And though... I'm absolutely loving, and I said it last week, I'll say it again, Ali Price is looking like a proper little live wire that could Mm. really shake up and hopefully come through and be a really good um, sort of impact man behind Greg um, Laidlaw for Scotland.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. But I think that just sort of feeds back to the point of half that team hadn't been playing with the other half for the last three or four weeks. And whilst they they did have all the possession, they just weren't able to execute. And hopefully... Now they're going to have a solid two months together. They're going to be able to kind of bring that back into their game. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I, I suppose my my question about the whole thing is that unless they do peak and unless they go on a good run and you know at least make the semi-finals, is that a bit of a worry about Gregor Townsend then taking over Scotland?
2: Well, it's, it's a tricky one, I think, um, because he has had an amazing run with Glasgow, and you can't deny that this has been the best Scottish club team that there has ever really been, possibly discounting Edinburgh's sort of freak run to the semis of the Heineken Cup a few years back. Um, it doesn't worry me. I think once Gregor Townsend gets in charge of the, the Scotland setup, it'll be a completely a different thing. He'll know those players, and he'll know them really well from his time at Glasgow. Um, but I do think that Dave, that Dave Rennie, pending his actual um, arrival there's a hell of a lot of work to do with Glasgow. They're definitely not the finished product. They're not competing in Europe as Townsend has repeatedly said is where he wants to get them to. So yeah, I think there's an awful lot of work to be done despite them being a, a great team.
0: I think if you compare that pack to when they were playing Munster in the final of the Pro 12, it's, it's not got the same edge and sort of almost like athleticism mm. that they used to have. It, it doesn't seem to be able to sort of just make yards at will like they used to be able yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. And so of i don't know where where that's gone. I know we've obviously lost Nakawara uh, big old kellick has gone since that team which, big um, I, and so I don't know how we're going to get that back i don't know if the, if it's a player issue or whether it's sort of a a coaching issue.
1: Well, I, I, we talked about this before. I, I do look at the the differences in signings between you know Glasgow this year signing probably an over the hill Corey Flynn who might have some sort of off the pitch benefit, and then Ulster signing Charles Pieter. I mean, we just cannot compete with that, yeah. and and that I think makes just such a big difference. Leinster have the same; they can they can get great Southern Hemisphere players. who are sort of used to winning, um, and I think without that, it's quite difficult to just rely on young players or sort of guys from. Canada and, and, and Namibia which is what we've done yeah what has Glasgow done sorry
2: I, I think that's a, a good point I've got Corey Flynn's name written down in my notes mine was to basically say he clearly doesn't care that much about Glasgow I think when he whenever he comes on I just think he's just he's just cashing a check would be my opinion and I think if we're talking about sort of top tier signings that are going to make a difference an over-the-hill New
0: Zealander who's just coming in and cashing the check is just not what Glasgow need no I think you're right I think um, I don't think that's been a particularly fruitful signing, and actually, maybe apart from Sarto, I don't think any of Glasgow's summer signings have really hit the ground running. If I'm honest,
2: no, it's quite bad. And Sarto, I think, still injured, isn't he? And Rory Hughes picked up quite a nasty-looking injury on yeah. Friday, yeah. Um, so there could be a little bit of issue on the on the wing. Horn picked up an injury as well. So, all in all, not a not a wonderful night for Glasgow. Um, what about their capital rivals, um, Edinburgh? Um they went down to uh the Ospreys um and lost thirty one twenty two looked to me from a, a bit of a performance that their scrum got pretty badly battered but I think we can be honest that is a good Ospreys team um with an awful lot of talent in it and but it seems that Edinburgh again just seemed to be off the pace of those um of the top half of the pro twelve
0: yeah absolutely I think losing ten points to Ospreys. Is is probably where Edinburgh are at at the moment. Okay, and I think in that team again, you had Bradbury, Jamie Ritchie, the front row of McCollum, Alan Dell. I th- I think this season's just got to be about bleeding in those young players, and I mean we've given up on playoffs. Probably given up on Europe.
2: Well, I mean, I think they've. I think they probably have to. I mean, they're they're sitting on fourteen points. The only team that they're above are Treviso and Zebre. I mean, they're they're really quite far away from certainly the top six teams that are there. Um, yeah. Unless they go on an, let's say an unbeaten run till the end of the season. I mean, I think they are. Those those things are away from them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I almost think the focus has got to turn to Europe. They've got their, they've got their two wins in yeah there. they are
1: looking they're are they unbeaten in the yeah in the Challenge Cup yeah I think so I that's what happened when they got to the final that it was a bit of a dud league season that allowed yep. them to concentrate and you know I think that them getting to that final was although it was only the the Mickey Mouse Challenge Cup it it was still a, a, a great achievement um, really I I just still I think the most disappointing thing is the mental fragility that we've seen in the team you know we've We've beaten Ulster, then we've lost to, was it Zebra? Zebra, yeah. Zebrae, um, you know, we have one p- good performance followed by just a really shocking one. Um, and I think that's the thing to work on um, yeah. because I actually think that Hodge has brought at least a more attacking entertainment style Definitely. than than Alan Solomons. There, there was quite an interesting tweet that the, um, I think the guy's called Omar and I don't know how you pronounce it, who was the defence coach under Solomons. And I think he tweeted last week saying... Um, Edinburgh have half the budget of Glasgow, and that Solomons was was dealing with things that you know off the pitch that no one else had to deal with, and that Glasgow were at a complete advantage to them, which I thought was quite. Not, I don't know yeah. how much truth is in that, but quite interesting. And maybe when you look at Edinburgh signings over the past few years, there's an element of truth to that.
0: If that is true, what is the what do you think the rationale for that is?
1: Maybe Glasgow. They think Glasgow have more of a shot of of winning things, so that they're bet they're better at bringing in young players?
0: Yeah, I guess, I don't know if just strategically, the SRU felt that they only had enough resource to focus on one team, you know, rather than splitting the money across two and sort of having two teams that were sort of going fifth or sixth, actually with the young players, with the coaching set up and sort of almost building this kind of almost great community around Scottsdale, actually it would make sense to focus on one of the pro teams more than the other and... The results, I guess, have have proved that. So um, I can I can kind of see it. if your budget only allows you to push one push on one team, then you might as, you might as well um, you might as well do it. I wonder um, if the
2: SIU also see the fact that they're Edinburgh playing at Murrayfield and things like that, and they see that as like okay there's a, there's a p- big part of our investment into your guys' club structure you're getting the sort of infrastructure of Murrayfield and the training pitches associated to that and maybe which is possibly the
1: least, the worst piece <laughs> of logic ever it's a sunk cost they don't have to invest more and more in it every year because it's just well, maintenance, and it makes Edinburgh a worse rugby team well
2: then if that is the
1: logic they're using it is very poor but <laughs> I don't <laughs> I know I mean u- ultimately it's, it is the Sacks defence coach who might have you know he's set, probably got a bit of a knack to grind but I, th-
2: run, I think there so. are some positives coming through from Edinburgh they've actually got a lot of really good young players coming through I think Damien Hoyland um, Blair Kinghorn scored a great um, well it's actually quite a funny try Um <laughs> So there was a sort of high ball put up, and Hoyland was running, looking at the ball, and then they
1: had a, him in the Ospreys. It was, there, a, it was a, yeah, Dan Evans, the Ospreys. Guy, yeah, the Ospreys had, they had back. a
2: they had a collision while they were both looking at the ball, which was still about ten meters above them. So they both hit the deck. The ball now lands, bounces into King Horne's hands, and he runs it and he scores it because he jets. Yeah, and it went out to the TMO, and Alan Wyn Jones was absolutely livid that it had been allowed to uh, to go on the score sheet. But there, I think
1: there, there has been quite a lot recently about poor Pro 12 refereeing, and actually yeah. when you do watch the games, some of these guys, you know, fair enough, they're young, they're inexperienced but just don't seem to have a feel for the game, that is just a common sense point that it would be a penalty, was nothing malicious in it, but it was clumsy, it was a penalty Exactly,
2: but hey, we'll take the uh, we'll take the five points, Or absolutely, and Mata got another try off the bench, it was a bit of a consolation point, I think it was 78th or 79th minute, which made the score look actually a little bit more flattering um, for Edinburgh, but as I was saying, I think these hard away Friday night fixtures are good. I mean, young, young fairly inexperienced front row. Dell getting um, a really tough run out. Uh, Murray McCallum getting a tough run out. McAnally getting some good minutes under mm-hmm. his belt on a Friday night against a good Ospreys team. I think it's only I think it's only good experience for them. Unfortunately, again, possibly looking at the inexperience, there was bad discipline. Gilchrist went to the bin in the second half. Alan Dell pretty much immediately after Gilchrist got on was just like, well, you know what? It was too easy with uh, with 15 <laughs> men. I might as well go off as well. So he went off pretty much the first scrum afterwards. For I think he was kicking someone in the scrum or something like that. It was pretty... Uh, so Edinburgh played 20 minutes of the second half mm. with yeah, 14 men. So there you go. Tough. Against Ospreys, they're just licking their lips at, at that. Um, any more on
1: the Pro 12 matches, lads? No, I think we just need to... Once again, pretty poor, week of results. Yeah, it Try is. And move it's on. A,
2: it's uh, yeah, not not great. Hopefully, we will um, see some better results in the weeks coming up. Um, but sticking with the Pro 12, let's look at our second issue.
1: If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it.
0: Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
2: Um, Alan, you were definitely talking about this um, when we were together yesterday. You were saying that... You can't believe the gulfing class between the top and the bottom of the Pro 12 um, and how that might be affecting the league.
0: Yeah, I think when you sort of look to the games this weekend, apart from the Glasgow Munster game, which, you know, the two good teams there both could win it. The other five games, I think pretty much everyone could have called the winner. So you've got your four Irish regions plus the Scarlets versus the Blues, the Dragons. Zebrae, Treviso and Edinburgh and the gulf in quality between the top 6 maybe top 7 if you include the Scarlets and the bottom 5 is generally really quite massive. It's usually, it's usually a couple like a couple scores yeah, maybe. Um, in yeah. the games yeah. I think
1: it's um, our our friends over the Egg Chasers podcast when they do their Pro child reviews they just go through it and they say Zebrae, Scarlets, do you want to talk about that? Nope, Scarlets win like, same, same with Treviso, same with Newport Probably, you know, getting to the point where it's the same with with Edinburgh. And I think you don't get that in a league like the Aviva Premiership, with maybe the exception of Bristol. But even their games are, are quite close. So I think there, there definitely is a, a big gap.
0: Yes, yeah, so I I don't know what's going going on with Italian pro rugby. It doesn't seem like there's any strategy behind what they're doing. And I know with sort of the Welsh regions have sort of had a real sort of systematic issue for the last sort of like almost like ten, fifteen years. But I just think in terms of when you get to those European games, the English teams now just seem to be almost so so much more battle-hardened. They, they're they playing tough games week in, week out. Whereas, whereas Glasgow can very legitimately come into their last round of European games having played Edinburgh, Treviso and the Dragons. Mm. And whilst, yes, that's great, we're going to get some bonus point wins hopefully, it just doesn't put you in the correct mindset and the correct physical state to be able to take on your month, mun- of course, monster, but like Leicester's, Saracens, Toulon, Racing, Metro, and I think whilst yeah, it's great we can get top four rugby. If we really want to be challenging for that European um, knockout rugby then it's a real big issue.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a huge issue and it's been talked about an awful lot in the press about the funding which the Pro 12 gets. I think they only get sort of 12 million from their TV deal, um, which I think is then reflected into how much uh, uh, how much the, the clubs get from that. I think versus the premiership, I think it's around about 100 million. Maybe, i don't know
1: i know it's a magnitude
2: it's, it's a huge it's, it's a huge amount and i just think um it does reflect itself i think you mentioned the egg chasers guys i think they're quite uh they're quite hard line on it they want to see a christmas split in the pro 12 where the top six and the tops uh the bottom six uh only play each other but because... on that
1: can you think how bad the bottom bit of that conference would be no one would watch it no one would yeah. go to the i don't games. i don't
2: i don't think i don't think it's the answer. I think. It's a, it's a tricky one because the Pro 12, have, the business side of it, have obviously they made overtures to the American um, rugby union, which got pretty soundly rebuffed, basically saying you don't have a plan and you expect all the risk to fall on the American side. We know that they're also looking at the options of a Canadian um, sort of franchise and and stuff like that as well. Do you guys think that's the answer to getting getting more money into the
0: game or, or better standard of play? Um. I I mean I don't think the North American angle is the way to go. I th- I think money is a, money is a key issue. You know I think the Pro 12 are getting something in the region of about an a seventh or an eighth in TV money, but that's just reflective of a the audience size, and b sure. the the product. You know the, the product is quite poor
2: on many occasions. On, it can be yeah
0: and. And I'm I'm not sure how you fix that. And I don't think adding adding a team from New York or a team from Toronto is going to change that. I think it's probably about sorting out Welsh rugby from the bottom up and basically telling the Italians, get your shit together or you'll be kicked out. Mm. Because honestly, Zebra and Treviso bring down that tournament. Yeah. And I just don't see, I don't think they have a positive benefit yeah for for it on the whole but I, I, it's
2: it's interesting speaking about the italians i listened to a podcast about um it was called conor O'Shea's um sort of time in italy and he was sort of saying that the um that the club setup is really really disparate and there's no mm. real sort of um organization there but he he couldn't have been clearer that it was so important for the future of italian rugby that zebre and treviso are playing at that top level and continue to do so and then ultimately become competitive and that's a knock-on effect of the future of the Italian national sides, who we've sort of talked about, sort of scratch around and pick up wins here and there, but are never very consistent. But they, I think Italy. Do you think they add something to the Six Nations? I think they're a good, they're a good thing.
1: Yeah, I, I do actually, um, and I think that you know trips to, to Rome and stuff. I think that it does add a quite a lot. And you know, to be fair, they've they've beaten everyone now bar. England yeah um, I think that the Scotland Italy games are always pretty poor but that just reflects the fact that it's two teams desperate for a win um no I, I think they do they do add quite a bit um but we'd like, I think the club structure needs to be sorted out and
2: then hopefully that'll knock on to the international um scene now uh, are we done on pro 12 you think because we can now return to Matt's um second week of Matt's um Thistle Rugby podcast quiz Alan took the win last week so it's going to be a uh, Oh, it's yeah. going to be
1: tightly tightly fought this week. I'm I'm
2: certainly looking for the win.
1: Right, so yeah, uh, round two of the Thistle Rugby Podcast quiz. Got some really, well, at least I think great questions today for you. Um, got a pen and paper, write them down, then we'll uh, we'll compare questions at the at the end. Yeah, yeah let's go yeah, for it. Good to go. Okay, so number one, name the club grounds that each of these Scottish rugby clubs play for. Give you Gala, Glasgow Hawks and Hoyk. Ooh. Easy that's, one. Easy one to start. I reckon most people out there will get that. That's tricky. In a second. I've got the Borders ones, but I'm not sure about the Glasgow. Right, happy with that? Yeah. Question yeah, number I'm two. I'm ready to go. Name all of Newcastle Falcons' current Scottish internationals. And you get a bonus point if you name the other two young Scots that are on their books at present. That's a tough one, but that's why it's I've a bonus a, point. I've
2: got a few. Do love the Falcons.
1: Yeah. Many it's, a Friday, yeah, many some, Friday, some Friday night Kings the park. Old, old Scottish rugby warriors there. Uh, yeah. The ones I know are certainly m- warriors, aren't they? Happy with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, number three, um, what is the capacity of our dearly beloved Murrayfield Stadium? And I'll give you whoever's closest gets the point. Ooh. I think, I think I'm quite close on that one. Happy with that? I can see you've gone specific. Yeah, That's I know. <laughs> I, g- I generally think I know fairly close to. Right, I right. think I know, and I I,
0: it's
1: know. not that. And it's not what
0: you've got.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, one of you has got the exact right answer. So anyway, um, and the the last question is quite an interesting. One, um, I was doing some digging around. Um, so, how many internationals did the ill-fated Gale Force team produce? Oh my god! <laughs> Bonus points if you can name any of them. Now, this was a team that was sort of after the Border Reavers were disbanded was sort of thought of, of up as a way of giving fringe um, Edinburgh and Glasgow pro players so, um, you a, just, a game. You just, you just want a number rather than the names of the players? I just want a number. And if you have any of the names, then you're a legend. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly going to be, it's a, it's, a, gonna be a, it's a good play. little team that got up So here, I guess
0: so. we're looking at players that were sort of like nineteen twenty, Yeah,
1: yeah. so they played, they played their games in 2009,
2: 2010. Okay. Ooh, I th- okay. Um... I think I start fairly strong and then dip off towards the end Um,
1: all got our answers yeah good yeah go on then okay so let's go what are your answers for number one the club grounds what have we got Gala I've
0: got Netherdale
2: Netherdale yeah nice
0: Uh, Hawks I I actually don't know don't know
2: I'm not is it Old Anna's Land it's new Annie's land. Oh
1: <laughs> unlucky, unlucky. Is it GHA
2: that play Old all Annisland? Yeah, it's
1: uh, Glasgow Akis that play uh, uh, old Annisland. Okay, um, okay, fair and enough. And then uh, how do we do on Hike?
0: I didn't get it, if I'm honest.
1: Mansfield Park? Oh yeah, oh, nice. We'll take that. Possibly one of the worst rugby places to play in the world, <laughs> speaking from personal experience, unfortunately.
0: We have a core group of fans in Hogg, don't Come on. National Park is a beautiful hey, we, place. It's a beautiful place to <laughs> we play. We talk about
1: HOG a lot, so there you go. Um, okay, so the, the second question... So what the, was that? I got two, Alan got, got one. one? Got one. Lovely. Um, so yeah, all of Newcastle Falcons Scottish internationals. Right. So just, I kick.
0: think I've got the four internationals.
2: I've only got three written down, so do you want to... I've got Ali Hogg. Yeah. yeah. Murray Lowe. No. No? no. Oh, is, uh, who am I thinking of then? I've got John well, Welsh. John that's who probably who you were thinking of. Um, How did
0: you forget Scott Lawson? Scott, that's oh. who,
1: Scott Lawson, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And
0: yeah. then Tyrone Holmes. Yeah, Tyrone Holmes. Oh, got one yeah. cap for Scotland. That's so that's did. the tough one.
1: Um Oh,
0: and right. That's a bad one any, for me. Having lived in so, Newcastle
1: for four years, that is quite bad for me. <laughs> so, Alan, you got all of them. Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. And, Dave, you got two. Two. So, And then, bonus not... points for any of the young non-internationals? No. No, not so for me. So, the, the young guy from Glasgow, Andrew Davidson, who played in the under-20s last year, who moved there this season. Oh, yeah. He's just gone down, hasn't he? Oh, and then. Did in their kind of senior academy guy called Glenn Young, who's from Jed Forest, who's oh. one of those, you know, the young brothers sort of dynasty that dominate um kind of Borders rugby. Oh awesome. Yeah. So he he's playing there on a sort of an academy contract and you know fair play to him.
2: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um so moving on to Murrayfield capacity,
0: what do we what have we got here? I've got Dave.
2: I've got written down sixty four thousand five hundred and fifty. And I'm not sure why that's in my what, head. What what have you got on?
0: I've gone for sixty-seven thousand five hundred. Alan takes it with the exact oh, right answer. God. That is excellent,
2: excellent. So, what are, the well what are the scores on the doors at the moment? Well, count,
1: count up your scores. What have you got? I've got. I must have four then. I've on six. Oh six. dear. Well, well, you like never it, it know. Like you never smart. know. You never know. So, how many internationals did the ill-fated Gale Force team produce? What are we? What are we going for?
2: I've I've written down four.
1: Okay. I'm what gonna, have you got? I'm
0: gonna go for
1: three. Three? I can tell you from this team that played mm, some match at <laughs> some point, um, there were nine.
2: Nine? Um.
1: Yeah. So the team Pete Horn at fullback. Anyone get him? No. no. Who, who were the? Who were your people I that you named? People like Tom Brown. No. Tom Brown's not there.
0: Dougie Five.
1: Dougie Five is not there. Fazaro. Uh, nope. Um, well I don't know crack on and read, so read got, the team well, then got Pete Horn fullback we've got friend of the pod Michael Donegan Stu legend on the oh. wing Heffin oh, O'Hare and Rob Dewey in the centres oh, Tom, Tom Burry on the wing uh, Colin Greger uh, Budgie and Mark McMillan halfbacks uh, you've got Kevin Tchachuk Ch- the Canadian prop I don't really know why he was playing in the Scotland <laughs> development team <laughs> but he was there <laughs> fair enough um, Fergus Thompson Okay. Uh, Lewis Niven, two second rows into Stephen Turnbull and Dan Turner, Fraser McKenzie. All right. Uh, James Eddy. You had Ryan Grant on the bench. Really? Lied yeah. in the end. And you had another Stumel legend, Ross Sampson, on the bench also, Whoa. Whoa. currently tearing up trees in Dubai. So, Fair. yeah ill-fated I don't think it did very well the they just did two seasons like, they did, did, did a like couple of the seasons
2: they did like the British and Irish Cup British and Irish Cup like
1: which isn't a very good competition anyway and didn't do very well so that was the end well, of that well
2: yeah, best of that's to Galeforce then I suppose yeah, night I internationals though. that's not a bad yeah, it's uh, not, not too bad it's not a bad turnout I suppose yeah. well thanks again so that. that's the
1: quiz so Alan, Alan takes it is that right?
2: another win for Alan Yeah. well done yeah. two in a row 2-0 Turn I'm feeling uh, well I'm, I'm smarting from that a little bit um, but hey ho we will uh, we will move on and um, we'll talk about we're going to have a chat about London Scottish and uh, Matt you were down at uh, the Athletic Ground on um, on Friday night um, tell us about what
1: was it like yeah, it was great. So I, I went down Friday night and um, they were playing Ealing Trailfinders, who are sort of West London local rivals. Um, and Ealing have been going great guns in the league this season. I think they're, they're third in the championship, or at least they were before Friday night. Um, Scottish have been struggling a little, but still picking up some good wins. And I think it's quite tight mid-table. And then you sort of have London Irish at the top, who seem to be running away with it. Um, and it was a great win for, for Scottish. It was a really good match. The... I think until you up, you're up close and you see it, the the standard's really really great. You've got some sort of young guys who are wanting to make it to the Premiership level, um, and you've got sort of older, more experienced heads who've been around in that league for a while. It's it's really physical league. It's it's high pace. It's um, you know pretty high high octane. Um, and I mean I mean you know from a sort of Scottish rugby perspective as well, it was really great to see a lot of young Scottish guys playing. So. You had um, George Turner starting at hooker, um, another Gmail legend um, who's on loan from Edinburgh. He was looking really, really sharp, really fit. Um, uh, you had Callum Hunter Hill on the bench who came on, young guy, but looks like a hell of an athlete. Um, you also had uh, Ali Miller in, in, the, in the back row for a 20 year old, a big, big old, big old lad. Uh, Neil Patrick as well. So I think it was really good to see the Scottish guys playing, fronting up. Physically, and they've they've got a really good setup there. I think
2: overall. And so you think the the deal? Obviously, the deal was a little bit sort of um, here and there. They initially were going to get fourteen players from the SRU, um, and then the SRU sort of pulled out of that contract. I think they were worried about the finances behind it. It. I think they're now getting ten. So the SRU are providing them with ten players. Yeah. And Sean Lanine sort of sits as there as a sort of part time director of rugby with a specific role of looking on at these sort of developing Mm, mm. Scottish players I mean I think that's that seems to me like a very good compromise for for Scotland who've only got two pro teams as you say the championship is a hell of a league there's a Mm. lot of big um, a sort of mixture of really talented youngsters and sort of big hardened um, former premiership players or guys that are just really really good amateurs and have always played at a really high standard Um, and for me and that sort of loose arrangement seems to work quite well. In fact, I'd actually like to see it become a little bit a little bit closer mm. if anything. And you've also got John
1: down there now as the the head coach, um, former Melrose player coach and also the under 20s. So it's it's a pretty good opportunity to to get young Scottish coaches through, uh, you know, because you only as you, you only have the two pro teams there's, there's limited opportunities there.
0: What what do you think is sort of the long-term strategy of London Scottish? I think if there was goal, I think they've publicly stated that they don't want to get promoted, A, because they're, they'd they have to move grounds, and I think there's certain sort of um, restrictions on how many English-based players you need.
1: Well, yeah, I think that's the, the big issue, is that um, London Scottish get a lot of RFU funding if they play a certain amount of English players, so that's what's prevented you know the SOU just sending down a huge raft of Scottish players. Um, maybe if they could get guarantees from the SLU that they would get a similar amount of money, but I think it is a lot of a money, money, so I'm not sure where they'd be able to afford it.
0: Well, this is, we've chatted a lot about how we think Scotland need to look at getting a third pro team, and obviously, London Scottish at the moment kind of acts as almost like a stopgap, as in we can send some young players down. It kind of looks to me like the option of could you put them in the Pro 12 and have them as the third team in the Pro 12?
1: Well, I think a while ago there was chat of doing that and putting them and London Welsh in um, to the Pro 12 um, and sort of using them as slight development teams. So so that could definitely be an option. Um, I, I think it would be a very good option if you could sort of figure out all the, the logistics and that sort of things. But I think we, we've talked about it before and they, Scottish rugby definitely, definitely needs a, a third pro team. I mean, surely the logistics wouldn't,
2: I mean, in terms of like, travel and stuff, it's not going to be that difficult. I mean, if the Scottish teams are travelling across to Connaught or down to Cardiff or Lynethley or whatever, like London's actually probably a little bit easier and much more... Uh, it's not going to be as expensive to get those places as well. So I don't see an issue. I suppose the the problem would be with the stadium, but I know the athletic ground a little bit. It's in a similar state to side, probably is um, at the moment, and that's about to become a Pro 12 ground. So I don't really see an issue there.
0: And that's the thing. I think in terms of a third pro team, the the borders didn't work. work, And I, I actually think just the way the borders are set up and structurally and also in terms of population, I just don't think it'll ever be able to sustain a third mm. pro team. And in Aberdeen and Dundee, there just isn't the support base there to yeah. do it. And you've got to remember, London's got almost double the population of Scotland. And there's a lot of Scottish people down in London. And I think that if we do if we do really want to have that third pro team it kind of seems like the only viable option yeah and
2: they're not just there's not just the Scottish people in London I mean there's a lot of rugby fans who would like to go down to Richmond it's a really central location and watch Mm -hmm. like a Scottish team play against um, Munster or Leinster or Ospreys or things like that if you think about the 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 Welsh guys mm. that are there, the the sort of English and the Irish people that are all in London. I think you would get a more critical mass of people down on there on a Friday night than you would, I think, I agree with you on the board. Yeah,
1: And I think it's even the, the sort of softer things down there. Like they, they have a great clubhouse, they've got a great bar, it's they do the sort of entertainment side of things really well. And they, they seem to before Saturday games have huge lunches with great, great turnouts. Um it's a real hub before internationals. So I think you could build a real community around it it's it's got a proper identity i think london scottish which you know even compared with edinburgh or glasgow they sort of struggle with that so I, I definitely think that scottish has a long-term term place for scottish rugby
2: yeah um well if you're listening there in the uh, the boardroom at the sru you have now you've now got our opinion on that so <laughs> go out and uh, go out and get it done mark dodson go and spend the spend the cash <laughs> I, was, I think it's probably our our advice to you there um any other business, guys?
0: No. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry about this, Alan Sure thing. Yeah. Apologies to the fans. Um, as you've heard earlier, you know, power cut, and therefore I had not have the time to research the betting market. So no Alan Sure thing this week.
2: So there's no no Sure thing. I'm sure all the people that um, lost money for you in the second week of the uh, <laughs> exactly. the Autumn Internationals are absolutely delighted to hear
1: that, Matt. Yeah. You one, one one more thing from me. Um, just want to say it's a little preview of the uh, it's a Scottish Schools Cup final um, this Wednesday. Yeah. It is the mighty Stuart's Melville against uh, Dollar, who I think of, haven't won a cup or haven't at least won a cup in a long, long time. Um, Stuma haven't been in the final since 2010. Um, and yeah, it should, be a, it should be a good game. So if you're, if you're down sort of Murrayfield way, try and make your way down to, to watch it.
2: I suppose it was about time that Watson decided to let another, another school win after four years on the spin, wasn't
1: it? Well, that's the thing. And, and Stu Mallett apparently had beaten um a few weeks ago. Really? So, yeah. So, I mean, it's always a final. It's always going to be closer. Will, it, but will, will um, it
2: be a rerun of the 2006 triumph of our very own Alan?
1: Well, that's why I was just <laughs> going to bring in the expert here.
2: What's
0: it like to play in that match? It's uh it's it's very good fun. It's uh, a thirty two nil victory against Robert Gordons if anyone's interested. Yeah. Did Robert Gordons play rugby or was that just sort of uh No, it was just because Watson's messed up and
2: lost. <laughs> we so. did we did. I played in the match. Rui Jackson was playing uh was my opposite man in that uh we got knocked out in the quarters up in uh, up in Aberdeen, Rui Jackson kicking the corners and uh yeah. But dreadful no, state of affairs.
0: As a... I think as a school kid, being able to play in Murrayfield in front of 7,000 people, it's a pretty incredible event. And actually, you're really surprised by how many people, even like us, 10 years after you leave school, are still kind of, if we go and watch it. So, uh, no, great. Go on the red, black and gold. Take the win home. I'd like to see
2: Stu Mel win it as well. I'm uh, hanging out with you guys enough I think, I think I've got enough loyalty <laughs> loyalty there much more to Dollar I think the last time Dollar won it will have been when John Barkley was still playing for them yeah. back in sort of the early 2000s because that was when they, they won it three years on the spin yeah. I remember watching my brother play for Watson's against, um, against Dollar and losing I think it was
0: Barkley and Graham Morrison Yeah. The, the two Dollar guys well that is two powerhouses of scottish rugby <laughs> <laughs> um well great guys um
2: thanks again uh for joining us um as i say follow us on itunes the acast podcast app or on twitter at thistle uh, rugby pod leave us a review let us know how we're doing um so for another week i'll see you later goodbye cheers guys bye
1: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince